Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. We've been uh, we've been studying the statement that Jesus made at the beginning of his ministry when he first went public. And um, in Mark's gospel, he tells us that Jesus said, uh, because the kingdom has come, because the time is at hand, there's three responses that make sense now. One is to repent, then you're to, to believe the good news, and then he says, you'll follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And we sort of have been treating that as our starting point as we head into fall 2021. We're relearning the way of Jesus. We sort of see this as the, the essential message of Jesus. So when we went back and we looked at believing, uh, we saw that what it means to believe is not, it's not just about what we believe, but it's about, uh, it's about how we believe, right? Remember that? We said it's, Jesus doesn't want to just be believed in. He wants to be believed. And then last week we were together and we looked at repentance and we saw that there is, there's really no alternative to repentance. We saw that repentance is about putting all of our weight and, and hope and expectation and all of our plans, all of it, in Jesus and letting him do with us what he wants to. That's, that's repentance. And today, what we want to do is ask, what does Jesus mean by follow me? Christians use this language all the time. It actually comes up a whole bunch in the New Testament. What does Jesus mean with follow me? How do we follow with Jesus? Somebody who's been really helpful for me in this is a, an, an author and theologian who lived in the 20th century. His name was uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German guy who lived in the era of World War II, and he was really outspoken against uh, Adolf Hitler. And uh, he, he criticized Hitler, and he criticized the German church because they were going along with Hitler. And he called the church to repentance, and it actually got him killed. And before he died, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in his book, Bonhoeffer says, the cross is laid on every Christian. Do you hear that? The cross is laid on every Christian. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But the cross meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man or a woman, uh, he bids him come and die. Do you hear that? When Christ calls someone, he bids them come and die. And, and that's a big theme in the life of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The way of Jesus is the best way, but it's not the easiest way. There is, a, there is a cost, and you're going to carry your cross if you're going to follow Jesus. And he didn't make that up. This is something that Jesus actually says a number of times. This, this metaphor of carrying your cross, Jesus says it a, a lot in the New Testament. One of those places where Jesus says it is in Luke 9. He's talking to his disciples. And in part of a larger conversation, Jesus says to them, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for, for me will save it. Okay, so you want to be his disciple. You, the first thing you'll do is you're going to deny yourself. You deny your, your comforts and your preferences, and, and you're going to Take up your cross daily, not just on Sundays, not just, uh, you know, Monday to Friday with weekends off, but daily you'll deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you'll follow him and go to the places he leads you. 
That's what we mean by taking up our cross and following Jesus. We're not just going to talk about it. I want to kind of, I want to do it. I want to see this in practice. Now, I've never done this before, but uh, it seems to me um, if Jesus asks us to carry our cross daily, I can, uh, I can carry a cross for the duration of a, of a sermon, for goodness sakes. Uh, I hope. Now, this is, uh, so this, this big cross, big heavy wooden cross, you can see it. It's, um, uh, it's not light. And it's not comfortable, but I'm going to carry it. So I'm going to I'm going to carry this for the for as long as I'm as I'm up here, and we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay, I think we can do this. But what we're what we're wrestling with today is the question: like, what does it mean to carry our cross? Like, what does it what does that even look like? What sorts of places will He lead us into if we're carrying a cross? What sorts of places would He not lead us into? And I actually think that we can get a lot of help in answering these questions by looking at the disciples and the situations and the challenges that they found themselves in as they followed Jesus. So let's look at a couple of those today. We're gonna, I'll invite you to come with me, first of all, to uh, Matthew chapter 17. Okay, Matthew's gospel, chapter 17. And we're going to start with a, with a lesson that Jesus teaches the disciples uh, using taxes. Okay, so this is a lesson from taxes. So this is a story involving Jesus and Peter, and the other disciples are outside. So it's just mainly a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus is going to challenge us and Peter about responsibility using taxes. Now, just, to make, just so you can make sense of this story, it's helpful to understand nobody likes paying taxes, okay? Taxes are like the ultimate affront to our uh, rights and freedoms, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you, because you pay tax, what that means is you have less in your pocket and you have less to spend on your family and on vacations and on your home and stuff like that because of all the taxes that you pay. Except if you don't pay your taxes, you know, there's no bridges and, and roads and, and there's no snap elections. I guess that's how it is today. Except, no, in the, in the old days, in the ancient times, if you don't pay your taxes, then, then Caesar can't wage his wars. Caesar can't have his slave trade. Caesar can't build his, his palaces. In fact, if, if, you're an, if you're a Jew paying taxes in the ancient world, the money that you pay Caesar in taxes are being used to keep your people in bondage. You're, you're paying for that. You have to, even though you don't want to. I mean, you also, like, if you don't pay your taxes, you know, we all know you go, you go to jail. But if you don't pay your taxes, the other thing, the other sad result is that the rest of us have to cover your share. If you don't pay your taxes, that's the, the money that you don't give has to come from somewhere. So the rest of us have to cover your share. And so in the ancient world, just like it is today, taxes are one of those like hard grown-up responsibilities that we all have that none of us like. And so check this out. In verse 24, chapter 17, after Jesus and his disciples arrive in Capernaum, the, collector, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? In other words, does your rabbi think he's special? Like, does he think he's exempt? He doesn't have to pay the tax? Yes, he does pay, Peter replied. And then when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. And so there's going to be this like teachable moment in verse 25, Okay. And he says to Peter, what do you think, Simon? From whom did the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? 
from their own children or from others? That's an interesting question, right? Interesting kind of predicament. Like, does, does Caesar expect his kids to pay taxes? Does Herod ex- collect taxes from his kids uh, or from others? And Peter knows the answer. He says, from others. And so, so Jesus says, well, then the children are exempt. There's like this broad principle. The children of the king are exempt from taxes. Okay, and, and that's, that's generally true in the ancient world. Everybody knows Caesar isn't taxing his son. Herod's, Herod's kids aren't paying taxes to Herod, right? It, it's not fair. It's corrupt. It's, it's unjust. These few people, they shouldn't get like a, a pass. The elites, they shouldn't get a, a, a break on taxes just because of whose family they were born into. You know, if anything, they should pay more because they can afford to. So it's corrupt and it's unjust. And you might think maybe the disciples um, should protest and they should not have anything to do with a system so corrupt and so uh, evil. And maybe Jesus is going to say, all right, so let's refuse. If the king won't even tax his own children, but he's going to expect the rest of us poor people to pay, we will not pay. We will not participate in this system. Well, look at what Jesus says, verse 27. But so that we may not cause offense... Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch. Open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Well, that's interesting. That's, a, that's kind of a clever twist. I don't know if you uh, have read this story in the last little while, but it seems to me this is kind of a surprise, right? The, the, the net result of this story is Jesus and Peter, they're going to pay the temple tax. But it doesn't actually cost them anything. And the reason is, Jesus happens to be Lord of heaven and earth. And if he wants, he can make a coin appear in the mouth of a fish. And, 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 and so what we see is the, the, Jesus and his disciples are actually part of this world. And they have to obey kings like Caesar and Herod, even though they're corrupt, even though they aren't fair. Right? And, and the disciples and Jesus, yes, they, at the same time, they also happen to be children of the true king, like the king of heaven and earth, God himself. They, they are children of, of that king, and that king is going to take care of us. Do you see? That being a child of the king of heaven and earth means he's going to take care of us. And so this is an important lesson for Peter. Sometimes uh, the, the, the cost of discipleship Sometimes the cost of following Jesus is personal. It's, it's individual. It's me fulfilling my responsibilities. Okay? Yeah, it means giving up some of what I think are my rights and freedoms and comforts. And yet, I don't get a pass. And, and, and I think that's an important part of what it means to carry uh, your cross. Now, the second story I'd like us to look at is, um, is where Jesus teaches a lesson using children. All right, so come with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, you, you come across this story that's told in all three Gospels because it's, it's that important. It's, it's, you know, children are that near and dear to the heart of Jesus. I'm just going to pause for a second and adjust this cross. This thing is heavy. Okay. Um, in Mark 10, verse 13, 
People are bringing little children to Jesus. People, sorry. People are bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now, in the New Testament, there's not a lot of things that make Jesus indignant. Other um, translations of this uh, passage use the word angry. One of them uses the word irate. But this literally is like a, a righteous anger. That's how Jesus feels about it when the disciples are treating kids this way and pushing them away from him, excluding them from the presence of Jesus. Now, why does he feel this way? What, why, does, why, why does this upset Jesus so much? It's because the way of Jesus is not welcoming certain people and pushing others away. Like imagine what happens if, if this is where the story ends. Suppose the disciples, they shame and embarrass the parents uh, enough that the, the parents take their kids home. Well, now what? What happens to those kids? Well, those kids go away believing, I'm a, I'm a nuisance, I'm a, I'm a pain in Jesus' butt. Like he doesn't want me around. What did I do wrong? Why don't they like me? What's wrong with me? Why doesn't God like kids? And the thing that they learn, if this is the end of the story, is that Jesus is too important. He doesn't have time to bother with children. And the thing is, Jesus never said that. And so Jesus said to them in verse 14, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. You know, I think it's really interesting that Jesus corrects his disciples in front of the people that they've just been abusing and offending. Um, but that's what's going on here now. Jesus is correcting them. And the reason is because the, he knows that the only way that they can treat disciples this way is because they are seriously confused about the way the kingdom works. Like they see kids as a nuisance and a waste of time. And they kind of distract us from the very important things that Jesus has to do. He doesn't have time for these kids. This, this uh, passage has been so convicting for me over the years that uh, one of the things I did years ago before I was a dad is I resolved that I would never tell my kids that I am too busy. So far, um, I've actually been able to keep that. Like, I'm still growing and learning as a parent. I know that I don't get it right in all kinds of ways. But to this day, my three kids have never heard me say the words, I'm sorry, I can't. Dad is busy. In fact, I would really encourage you to adopt that practice as well. Because I don't want my kids, or any kids for that matter, uh, believing that they're like in the way. Okay, Jesus says it's the kids who actually really get the kingdom. It's, it's the kids who understand what God's trying to do. The kids don't have their theology together yet. They don't have their ethics worked out yet. They don't have their spiritual disciplines nailed down. They just want to be with Jesus. Kids are just like, he's fun. He tells great stories. He's nice to us. He makes us laugh. We don't want to go home yet, mommy and daddy. We just want to stay and be with Jesus. And here's the disciples telling them they got to go home. And so Jesus and his disciples, they've got a very different definition, a very different idea of the way of Jesus. Okay? 
And so the disciples here learn a very important lesson too. In, in the, the last story, it was a lesson about individualism. Now, they're learning that sometimes the cost of following Jesus isn't individual, it's more communal, it's more universal. Sometimes we realize that the, the goals that we have for our group aren't the goals that he has for us. Like, like if we think that success means you know, getting rid of the weak or stepping over the people who don't seem to be able to contribute, if it means leaving people behind, if it means getting rid of our competition, then we are, we are not following Jesus. What I'm saying is Jesus isn't tribal. He's not building a brand, okay? Sometimes Jesus just wants to get on the ground and play with the kids. And that's why in verse 16 here, I love this. It says, he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. He blessed them. All right, now these are, just, these are just a couple of small stories with, um, you know, with pretty big implications for following Jesus. And, sorry, I just need to adjust this for a second. All right, that is not getting any lighter. We could have looked at other stories that make similar points. Like, at one point, you've got Jesus about to feed 5,000 people, except the disciples say, no, 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 Jesus, you should send them away. Or they're telling a Canaanite woman, Jesus doesn't have time for you. Go away. Or to, they're saying that to lepers, or to sick people, or to demon-possessed people. Or they're having a debate among, each, among themselves about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Okay, Or they think that Jesus, uh, sh- Jesus shouldn't be washing people's feet. Jesus doesn't, he's too important to be getting down and washing people's feet. Or another time they're in a boat with Jesus and they're terrified. Or another time they're telling Jesus that he shouldn't be teaching in parables. He should just be speaking plainly. And another time they're telling Jesus, what are you talking about crucifixion for? What, why would you let yourself be crucified? And they don't get it. And so we've got four Gospels full of stories like this where the disciples are learning how to follow Jesus by failing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Like certainly there are times when they got it right, but most of the time they don't. Most of the time they didn't get it right. And it's like, what do, you, what do you do with that? Well, we learn from their example. And I think what their example shows us because of the different ways that they sometimes get it wrong, I think it's probably helpful to think of the way of Jesus as like this. Like, think of it as a, a narrow road. And there's a, there's a ditch on either side. And so you don't want to go off the road on, to either side, the left or the right. And over here, you've got one ditch. And this one ditch over here is the ditch of, of individualism. Okay? Because sometimes Jesus is going to lead us into situations that are going to threaten our personal, individual comforts and and preferences. And we want to protect those. And Jesus is going to say, no, 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 that's not how you follow me. You're going to die to those things. And and over to the other side, the other ditch that we might fall into is the ditch of, of tribalism. We're, we're, because following Jesus is sometimes going to take us into these places and scenarios where we realize that all this time we wanted our tribe and our group to be the best and the biggest and the coolest and most famous and powerful. And Jesus is like, no, 
That's not what I want. That's not how you'll follow me either. You've got to die to that. And I think in this culture, in this moment, we're going to be pulled to one side of that road or the other, either to individualism or to tribalism. And I think right in between those is the way of Jesus. And he calls us to die to individualism, die to tribalism, and take up our cross daily and follow him along this narrow road. Okay, And I think we're getting closer to what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But I want to drill down a, a little bit deeper into this and just ask, how do, how, do we, how do we die to these things? And I think that the answer is in the gospel itself. Because I think that the, that the gospel uh, confronts both individualism and tribalism. I think it corrects it. I think it like obliterates individualism and tribalism. Let's look at that for a minute. Because in individualism, my way, my rights and preferences, my desires matter more than anything else. And if there's something that I want that you have, I'm going to find a way to get it. And if, if some other individualist has some, thinks that I have something that they want, if they try to stop me from having what I think I should have, if they try to take mine from me, no, 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 we're not having that. Because I have rights. It, it all rises and falls on me and my comforts and my preferences and my desires. Now, I've been observing this lately, actually, in our culture. And I don't want to be too political here and, and divisive, but I, I think that we pretty much agree on this. I, what I've observed lately is that in Canada, uh, a lot of Christians have started using this slogan, my body, my choice, in order to protest the COVID vaccines and COVID mask protocols and stuff like that. Now, if you, don't, if you haven't heard that slogan, my body, my choice before, that is taken from the pro-choice folks in the United States, where my, cho- my body, my choice means it's my right to abort my unborn child because it's the, that child is taking up space in my body. Nobody can stop me from having an abortion if I want to. My body, my choice. Except in 2021, we've got Christians in Canada, Christians who are using the slogan, my body, my choice, and they're arguing, it is my right not to wear a mask if I don't want to, not to get vaccinated if I don't want to, because it is my body. Nobody's going to be putting any vaccine in my body if I don't want them to. No one can force me. Now, let me be really clear about something for a minute. I think that a good argument can be made that at different times, the government hasn't always handled the pandemic well, okay? I would even argue that at different times, there has been government overreach into the business of the church. I really believe that that has happened. But no Christian's individual rights are more important than our neighbor's health. Let me say that again. No Christian's rights are more important than our neighbor's health. We are not exempt from the responsibility to wear masks and get vaccines for the sake of our neighbor. Okay, it's, it's like taxes. If we, don't, if we don't do our part, then we're, we expect, we just assume that other people are going to do it for us. You know, if we're not part of the solution, we just expect other people are going to fix this thing for us. It's going to run its course. Listen, Christians are the last people on earth 
who should be forcing and expecting other people to suffer and other people to pick up the slack for us because we prefer our comforts and our rights. And I think it sort of looks like this, okay? It sort of looks like I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking around at all these other all these other people carrying their crosses. You see up here at the front, we've got a little cross, nice little fancy uh, bronze cross. We've got a, a, a slightly larger brass cross. It's quite pretty. I bet if we polish it up, it'd be really shiny. We've got this really large, substantial uh, brass one that, that I, it just, it just is glorious. And then we've got this big, heavy wooden one that I've got to carry. And, you know, maybe I just don't feel like carrying it anymore. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I feel I shouldn't have to carry this one anymore because I prefer not to. It's heavy. It's scratchy. It's bumpy. And this one looks nicer. I, maybe I think I deserve it. Maybe I want it. Why shouldn't I have it? I'm just going to take it. Well, listen. It's like Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus didn't die for you to have the things that you think you want. Jesus died to forgive you for that. And you know, the good news for an individualist is that, you know, you can be forgiven for that. If you've hurt and offended other people and and caused suffering by your selfishness or by your greed or by your jealousy or by your bitterness or your privilege or your entitlement, if 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 that's your mode, you can be forgiven and you can be restored and have a new life. And, and you can actually have those relationships that broke down. Those can be reconciled and healed. And he says to us, yo, what are you, what are you doing? I, don't, you, I told you to take up your cross. Your cross. You don't, you don't take up his cross. I don't want you to take up her cross. You take up your cross daily and follow me. You take up your cross, you daily follow me and deny yourself. That's how I want you to follow me. You don't get to trade crosses with people. And so when we realize that that's what Jesus is inviting us to, he's inviting us to die to our individualism, that means we go, wow, Jesus, I've just, I have been so jealous and so selfish and for so long, it just, it, it, it feels like I can't live without my comforts. It feels like I can't live without getting my way. So help me die. If I can't live without my comforts, help me die to those. I'm in your hands. I'm following you. I'm, st- I'm not following my way anymore. I'm following you. I'm dying to my comforts. I'm dying to my rights. I'm dying to my preferences following you. And then you know what happens is we find ourselves raised to new life with him. That's when we get to experience contentment and purpose and joy instead of greed, selfishness, and individualism. But that won't happen until we take up our cross. And you know, the gospel confronts tribalism too. It confronts tribalism because in tribalism, what we want is to be the most powerful group. We want our community, our tribe to be the most powerful, famous, influential, biggest, best, whatever it is, whatever our group identity that we sort of run with, we're willing to do whatever it takes to make that group great again. And we're going to do that no matter who we step on, no matter who we have to exclude, no matter how many people are left behind. 
In fact, you know, that's at different times in our history, that's actually something that uh, Christians, quote unquote, have had no problem doing. Okay, we've had no problem leaving the leaving the week behind. You know, a, a few days from now, it's going to be Orange Shirt Day, uh, a, a day for truth and reconciliation. And in Benediction Church, we've talked a lot of times about how many indigenous children were separated from their families and were abused in residential schools run by churches. We're not we're not talking about you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of, of kids. We're talking about tens of thousands of indigenous uh, kids left behind, abused, sometimes died. And of course they were. Because that's how colonialism works. That's how empire building works. If you want to have a great, big, powerful, successful, thriving Christian uh, nation... Well, you got to deal with the little people who stand in the way. You know, another example that comes to mind is uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I, I know if uh, how many of you have listened to the podcast, "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." Yeah, most of us. Good. Yeah, I certainly recommend it if you haven't had a chance yet. I think it's really helpful for helping us so that in teaching us uh, what a church is supposed to be. And, and certainly what it's not. But um, I've been through it a couple of times now. And the quote that always sticks with me is um, when Mark Driscoll says that there is a pile of bodies behind the bus of Mars Hill. There is a pile of bodies behind the bus of Mars Hill. And it's like, of course there is. Of course there is. When you're an empire builder, when you believe that your brand and your group and your community and tribe have to be the biggest and best, most powerful You'll do whatever it takes. That's the, that's the price. The price is a few bodies behind the bus of Mars Hill. What else are you going to do if you believe you're called to, to greatness? And there's these people who are taking up space on the bus. Or they're not helping advance the, the cause. They're not helping us get, get the bus moving. Well, if that's you, of course you're gone. You're going to get tossed. It's like you're dead to us. And it's, it's not the way of Jesus. It is not the way of Jesus. It's like, it's like me taking this cross and I'm going to offload this cross on some people that I think can carry the burden for me so that I can do what I think I was put here to do. There we go. I find that, I'll, so I'm gonna, I'll give it to you guys. Here, you, you carry this for me for a while and that'll free me up so that I can do the things that I think I'm, I'm, I really should be doing. I'm going to make it their burden. Why should we have to carry a cross? We've got more important things to do. Somebody else should carry it. Except like, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus understands where tribalism comes from. Listen, Jesus knows all of the like hurts and all the fears and all the abuse and all of the traumas that you suffered that brought you to this point and have made you this way where, we, where you turn against each other. Jesus knows what happened and all the reasons why we look at each other as enemies and as competition. And he actually died to free us and heal us and to break the power that power has over us. And I think Jesus is like, hey, I know that your ambitions and your goals for your group, I know that stuff seems really important. I know it seems like that's what you think I want for my kingdom. It's not. 
It's, it's not my kingdom you're building, it's your own. And those people that you're stepping on, those people that you're burdening with your cross, they've already got a cross to carry. Like, I gave you a cross, you don't put it down, you don't offload it to other people, you carry it. And once you realize that that's what Jesus is inviting us to do, to take up our cross and actually carry it, then once we realize that, we're, then it's like, wow, I realize now, Jesus, I have hurt so many people with my actions, with my attitudes. I've been so wrong about the kind of kingdom you're trying to build. Now that I realize all the hurt that I've caused, I don't know if I can live with myself. I can't live like that. And so, help me die. And he does. He does. And you know what happens is you find yourself free, raised to a new life, healed and whole and having those broken, hurt parts of you restored and growing more restored. And you're able to flourish. Now, you know, over these weeks together as we've been relearning the way of Jesus, I think it's been really good for us to review you know, look, reviewing is good and, and helpful and important. I also see this, as, though, as a chance to renew. It's also a chance to renew. And I wonder if over these last few weeks, as we've been talking about relearning the way of Jesus, I wonder if maybe God has kind of been tapping you on the shoulder. You know, he does that. He speaks to us. And, and, and maybe he's been kind of tapping you on the shoulder and asking you like, hey, are you ready to believe me? Like, I know you believe in me, but, but do you believe me? And, and are you ready to repent and let me carry you? Like, are you done looking for alternatives? Are you ready to put yourself in my hands and let me carry the weight of your life? Are you ready for that? Can you repent? And I wonder if you, maybe he's, maybe he's tapping you on the shoulder and asking, are you ready to take up your cross daily and follow me? Are you ready to deny your individualism? Are you ready to deny your tribalism, to die to those things? Take up your cross daily and, and really follow me. Are you ready for that? Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.